0: Welcome to Ride Along Chronicles. I'm Vicki. I'm Tina. And I'm Sally.
1: We are three great friends who created our own support system as we raise our families in the challenging first responder lifestyle.
2: Our confidential guests will share their stories in this safe space that didn't exist for us.
0: So ride along with us as we chronicle lessons learned and provide helpful resources to keep Leo families in the front seat. Today, we're going to delve into the world of PTS and overall mental wellness for emergency responders and the impacts to their families. We had the opportunity to meet licensed counselor Lauren Goldbach, who specializes in the treatment of first responders, and she is also the owner of East Valley Trauma Counseling. You know, ladies, we have had other professionals, other first responder guests and first responder family members who've talked about the challenges of mental wellness and how trauma affects not only the first responder, but the family as well. Right. right? Yeah. And yeah. And today, however, speaking with Lauren, she touched on so many of these topics And truly educated us on the differences of trauma and the treatment modalities available and how all of these can really impact how a first responder and their family can succeed with the right tools and timing of intervention. We just learned so much. Tina, what did you get out of that?
2: You know, she touched on um, how the brain responds to trauma and the neural feedback loops and how those changes over time that she can have predictable um, responses at different times in their careers and yeah, how that physiological like and, mm-hmm. and how that really played at home when they right. got home off the job and it just it was like eye-opening right for me
1: and i don't even think we've had guests that even when they were talking about their first responder it was exactly. all about mental health and mood right. and and, and she, feelings she,
2: she made it it's it's not just mental health it's not really not that it's not mental health but it's a, like a nervous, it's a it's a nervous system response and rewiring of the brain that really is responsible for how they Kind of can do their job yeah. and then how they behave at home and and it took that whole stigma of mental health away right like right holy cow like we need to shift the paradigm that of mental health mm-hmm. truly it's mental wellness but mm-hmm. more that this is this is a brain rewiring and we need to think about yeah. it that way like an injury
1: of the oh. brain yes you know yeah. and even though i think i've heard of that even in my own you know career mm-hmm. No one's broken it down the way she did. And really, um, especially when she talked about, you know, what happens to the family at each stage in this, and when they see these behaviors and these, you know, these yes. physical signs Maybe and this not. They're not
2: totally responsible for it because it's how they survive. Right. And I don't think
1: we've ever had a guest who so eloquently, in very layman's term, mm-hmm. so whether you're a family member or your first responder, the way she explained it Makes sense right. and made you go, I get that. And the right. examples that she gave with that resonated completely. And you get, get yeah. more
2: compassion. I don't know, I felt more compassion um, for. The times where maybe I wasn't empathetic enough or showed enough compassion, kind of
0: shine the light on like, oh, no, that's what see, they were experiencing, yeah. and I had no, no clue. I, I had yes. and would no have been idea. helpful. Oh <laughs> my gosh, would this not have been helpful twenty like, years
1: ago? Yeah,
0: yeah. Again,
2: feeding that whole yes. thing yes. where we need to be educating our families throughout their first responders Absolutely. career. Yes. Absolutely, yes, and not
1: just in the academy or in retirement yeah. because, you know, yeah. there's a program, well, but throughout the
0: career. Like recurrent training, yes. you know, like every, every because st- we talked about the the span of a first responder's yeah. career, so there's stages and phases, stages, you know, right? of the of the changes. We come at the five-year, the 10-year, the 17, 20-year, and the retirement. Well, at each one of those phases, how beneficial would it be to have a family, right? um, like a family recurrent tra- yeah, recurrent training on hey guess what at this yes. stage this is what you're going to be exp- yes. experiencing yeah. probably what you've already seen this is how to deal with it and this isn't yeah. just you you're not alone yes. I think that would be so helpful to so yeah. many families it out is. there
1: and we asked her questions about modalities and we asked her questions about tools but instead she explained what each that looked one. like yes. right she explained each one and then and then what it looked like so if you are a family member you can go, "Oh, I get it now."
0: Yeah, yeah." and how
1: that ties to identity, and it ties to how long they've been a, a, a career, and it ties to how connected and attached they are to the outside world versus mm-hmm. just the first responder world. She was amazing. Like things that I never even thought about, not only in my own um, family and my own relationship, but even they teaching other that. first responders and in yeah. peer support to go, "This is how we should be explaining it, right?" in the words we understand
0: right yes. yeah speak our language yes. and, and oh the gosh. modalities that she talked about they're so fascinating mm-hmm. and i love that there's so many you know things are options. up and coming yes. and yes. there's a lot of options and there, there's so much education and, and awareness about it now we talked about Um, brain spotting and EMDR she talked about EFT which I had never heard of before which was fantastic and very fascinating Um, so it's a it's a great listen there's so much to learn in this one I really encourage you to take the time to really sit down and listen to this Get a notepad and paper because there's going to be notes. You're going to be like, oh, what's I'm that one? Go back. Yeah, yes. we're going to reference the modalities. We're going to reference actual resources, um, some good books and videos that she oh, talked yes. about. I mean, that I'm going to be going and reading myself. But it was so, much. so eye-opening.
1: So let's dive right in. Welcome, Lauren. So how did you become a licensed therapist and transition to working with first responders? So um,
3: I got licensed in 2012, um, after I graduated ASU's master's program. And I was, um, one of my internships was with crisis response. I started with Phoenix, um, had to take a leave at the end of the semester um, because of some personal um, losses that I had. And then I did a uh, year with Chandler, a school year with Chandler crisis response. Um, What I found in Both, I thought that perhaps crisis response was going to be my my love and that was where I was going to plant myself. Um, But I found myself going to scenes and not wanting to get out of the van. Um, I would show up with the other crisis responders and like every nerve in my body was saying, nope, 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 don't go in there. That doesn't feel safe that's sketchy af um i I don't want to hear this person screaming anymore i would get migraines um it was it was a really honestly unpleasant experience for me and i found it's something i cannot do um long term so kudos to that um group of people doing that work but that got me interested in how it I, i would watch you know showing up on the scene there were already law enforcement there and oftentimes fire um, and I and I became very curious about what makes a, a, a cop show up, right? right? He's going in, she's going in. It's not secured. It's not safe. And I'm like, are their bodies not going hell no? Like everything in mine <laughs> was going, I'm not getting out of the van. I just want to duck. There were some places we went where I wanted to hide, like behind a door. Um, and they're just standing there. And so I became very, very interested in that. Um, so I started uh, taking some trainings to learn more about it. I had also, when I stopped doing crisis response, found that – um, because I was attached to a fire department, I was hearing tones. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night hearing tones. I would hear them in grocery stores. I would hear them in wow. my car. Um, I went to a provider who told me that that was not normal um, <laughs> and told me that there was something wrong with me and that perhaps I was in the wrong profession, which was gutting. Sure. Um, and I had to do a lot of self-reflection, like, am I broke? Am I, am I not meant for this therapeutic work? Right. Um, but that also got me on a journey of trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and as I started training and learning more about first responders, I found that A, there's nothing wrong with me, this is not abnormal. Okay. And um, B, they're such a different specific population. Um, and that gave me really a, a passion and a, and a view I didn't have before, right? Everybody thinks the firefighters are the heroes, and I was never much for the calendars. I'm like, okay, they're nice people, Um <laughs> Out in the open, I'm I'm afraid of cops on the road. Okay. Not my friend, right? right. <laughs> I'm a really <laughs> shitty driver. Um, they make me nervous in uniform sometimes, or they used to. Um, but uh, once I started the training at the agency where I was working, I was given a few first responders. And I found them to be such a um, passionate, caring, um, loving population, really, truly. I think they're the most caring people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No one else would step in front of harm to protect mm-hmm. somebody else. Um, except maybe a mother or you know, right. within your, you a, family, know. a stranger, yeah, yeah, who steps in front of a bullet to, to protect a stranger, right? Yeah. Um, and that grew a more passion for learning more about it. Um, I, uh, then it's a word-of-mouth population. It is. Like we've talked about before, once you see one, it's, oh, go see this person. So um, when I left that agency, I was doing a split. I had a lot of firefighters at the beginning of my private practice when I opened East Valley Trauma Counseling. And um, they, uh, it was like the den mother of this one particular city, they would all come to me. Um, and I, then it was a mix, like maybe a third first responders, two-thirds um, other population, childhood sexual abuse was what I specialized in back then. Um, once the rioting started, um, mm-hmm. for the first time really ever, I had an influx of police. And um, also a very tight-knit, as far as word-of-mouth population. Um, so that kind of evolved. And within the last maybe three, four years, I have closed my doors to um, general population and only see first responders. Oh, wow. oh. Uh, there's wow. a shortage in the valley of there people is. who are competent do, and well-trained. Do you feel like that shortage is nationwide as well? Or... I do. Okay. Yeah, I have, um, I have a Facebook page, Clinicians Specializing in First Responders. It's slowly growing, and I think we have about 250 members nationwide. Wow. Um, but even just trying to create a database, it, mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, i competent providers absolutely you mm-hmm. know i have a pet peeve about that i hear people say so i i have a i had a client who was a cop so i know how to treat them or my mm-hmm. brother was a cop or my dad was a cop and i'm like yeah you know it's a, so little a lot more than it's that it's not the same it yeah. is not the same you so know? what made
1: you though as you you know started working specifically with first responder population, as you said, and, and, you know, we are kind of special. We just have to define special, (laughs) but what were some challenges now, especially since you have that perspective of general population versus not that really, um, you think is makes it so difficult, um, when you see you know, somebody in the general population deal with something versus a first responder, what are some of those challenges that you think is different for us?
3: Yeah, so one of, one of the logistical challenges is um, scheduling. Sure. Um, you have firefighters have a rotating schedule so they can't find a, a specific slot every week which makes it difficult to give anybody a recurring slot every week. Mm-hmm. So I have to keep my calendar really fluid. Um, it, for on my end, it's um, you know I work weekends, I work holidays, I work evenings. Um, I go in on the Fourth of July, for example, because I'm not doing anything else. But you know they're working, so um, this is a population that drops everything to go where they need to go. And I feel like if you can't be willing to give back some of that, um, it's it's really not uh, an equal relationship. Um, one of the other challenges is um, when I worked with general population, even childhood sexual abuse. We're talking about a limited Um, time-ending injury, right? So even if someone was abused all the way up until 18, 20 years old, you're containing a period of time that you're healing from, right? That injury can be healed and put behind them um, or a car accident or, you know, an assault. Um, This is a population that is being um, injured over and over and over again. And that I find to be the biggest challenge. This is um, the distinction between the injury and the, the disorder, right? Um, the brain is physiologically injured and altered when you have um, an event. And the um, so everything we're doing is kind of catch up until they retire. Right. Um, and, and I find that both heartbreaking and um, challenging because you're giving them skills. You're working through something that they saw, but you know you're going to send them out to be re-exposed again and again and again.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, That's a hard one.
3: Yeah. The other challenge, which I guess we can talk about later, is departments – <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh you could talk about him anytime yeah, yeah. that's uh that's something I, t- I put quite a few notes here on there's um,
1: really uh well d- you're, you brought it up because there's a betrayal trauma that comes with departments you know yep. that just in the few years i've been doing peer support i didn't even know it was a thing until i got so involved in peer support and i had therapists telling me oh it's not they're shooting right? That they were involved in. It wasn't the the issue with their family that they worked through. It was how they were treated after an incident. And I don't know if somebody who doesn't understand first responder, you know, life and what that looks like, or government work. um, How do you explain that to somebody in general population that just says, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm good. You know, like, they don't do anything to me. I'm I'm just a worker where, I mean, do you find that that is another piece that when you say competent therapist that understands first responder lifestyle, that that's something that has to come into play.
3: Absolutely. Um, it, when I think back on, on the injury I had, going to the provider who said that's not normal, hearing right. tones isn't. There's something wrong with you. You maybe need to pr- uh, consider another profession. I right. have had um, I have had clients in my office who have said um, they were asked by therapists why didn't you use a leath- less lethal? Um, why oh. didn't you try talking oh. to them? Oh. Do you have to carry a gun? Why did you shoot? You, you can't take a first responder who feels like he had no other option because these are highly, obviously, right, trained men and women. No one wants to shoot somebody they don't have to shoot. It's a last resort. Um, And to take someone who's already had that, um, the greatest taboo, really, that mankind has is killing another person and had to make that critical and really, really difficult decision and then asking them to justify it in your office, right? Mm. Why did you shoot? Why couldn't you have done another thing? And that has actually happened, which is part of my passion for having – competent and trained wow. providers mm-hmm. um, the other thing the betrayal trauma is huge um, and I've had quite a few officers with Oiss and it's not you know the 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 death is hard enough right we process yep. that it's they always feel good about what they had to do I good is not the right word they feel that it was a justified shoot and they feel that they saved lives and did the right thing right right um, it's uh, internal investigations that take too long or they're not kept a and you know, abreast of it's the um, population's Monday morning quarterbacking, mm-hmm. it is the department, and that is the biggest one the department that doesn't support them, or doesn't check in on them, or makes them feel like they have done something terrible, and especially. With the changing climate right now politically, I have officers who are afraid to act, um, which I think mm-hmm. is gonna create a very unsafe scenario for mm-hmm. not only law enforcement, but the public. Right. Because now they're going, am I gonna lose my home? Am I gonna lose my family? Am I gonna to go to prison? Right, is my department going to not back me? Which is something that happens over and over and over again. Um, and that level of betrayal is where we see the injury. It's not the shooting. We can process that and be done within a session. <clears throat> we can process that and be done within a session. Um, it's all the stuff that happens afterwards. I have had officers who have been kept, um, from contacting family members, contacting just to say I'm okay. Right. Cause when there's a shooting, it hits the news. Um, isolated left in a car for three, four hours. I mean, there's just it's all terrible. kinds of, yeah. All, and these are not ways to treat a human being, right? I mean, They're not RoboCop. Just because you have a uniform doesn't mean you don't have a brain and a nervous system and emotions, um, and need connection with other humans, but this is how they get treated right
1: yeah no it does it uh, it it doesn't and then to and then here you are right um you get them either at the beginning of that you know critical incident because maybe the department you know has a program and or you get them 10 10 years years later, later 20 years later maybe even retirement where they've been carrying this additional kind of trauma stress you know not feeling good about you know how they left and you're supposed to kind of fix it, right, or, or help them find a way. I mean, how challenging is that for you sometimes?
3: It's it's really difficult um, because there's attachment included in this, right? Attachment is a part of our survival brain, and we get attached to our place of employment. We spend more time there awake than we do at home. Mm-hmm. So this is second family. Whether you like them or not, we don't get to right. pick our family either, right? My right. kids <laughs> love them, but it was a 50-50. So this is... Um, the department is second family, and when second family turns its back on you or doesn't support you, or they, and you guys know, they eat their own. So right. there's so much um, sometimes conflict within each department among uh, people who work there. Um, you can't go back and repair that. When I work with a family, I can bring in a spouse, and, and I love family work. I love um, when there's a marriage on the line or something's you know not going great, to be able to to see that work unfold in front of me and and get those relationships strong and healthy again you can't do that with a department, and even if they're still active, I can't call, you know, <laughs> command staff in and go listen. Hey, fuckers, let's mediate. Yeah like, yeah, like, like let's mediate. <laughs> yep, you know. But when they when they've already left the department, now you've got a thwarted relationship and a massive one, one that was supposed to be. This is it's so different from when I go to work. I don't rely on my coworkers to keep me alive. I don't rely on myself to keep me right, alive. Right, right. But this is a population that literally relies on their coworkers to keep them safe and alive. And when a relationship like that is ruptured through betrayal. Um, and you can't go back and repair it that is a lifelong wound i didn't thought it's like a loss it's grief, absolutely on top of all
1: that other trauma itself yeah i never thought about that yeah i haven't thought of it that way at all so have you found when you you kind of started that path where you know we talked about the challenges but now you know when you can help somebody right or see that growth you know Mm post-traumatic growth that they say whether it's individually or family um how is that reward for you to see that you know it is doable. You know, there is somebody who can heal, go back out into that field, and now have all these skills and, you know, a a way to process it to be healthier and finish their career and retire. Yeah, it's a beautiful
3: thing to see. I, um, the way I look at it, uh, number one, I have developed such a love for this population. So it's very rewarding to see them um, heal. But healthy first responders make healthy communities. Um, And so I have a daughter who just launched, she's the second to youngest living in one of the cities that's, Currently, kind of a shit show, burning down fire. And when I when I treat these people, I'm thinking, this is how I keep my daughter safe, right? If I can have healthy uh, police officers on the road, then they're fully present to, to respond, to help, to keep the community safe for her. Mm, true. Um, and it's and this is global. When we're talking about um, the rioting and all the ridiculousness with anti police movement, uh, why would we not want to protect and, and uh, heal this population? Right. Right. Healthy police officers, healthy firefighters make a very healthy community.
1: Yes. And it sounds like family their own community and even workplace. Yes. You know, then they bring up other people cuz I I have seen somebody come back from treatment, you know, and then continue on a plan, and I have to say sometimes I look and go, this person, you know, who's in their 30s, 10 years into their career and had to deal with this and then actually have a path now and a support system is going to look so much better and do so much better than the 25 year veteran that was kinda like hold it in and boot up, you know, pull up your yep. bootstraps and is gonna struggle, you know, just to get to the 2025. And so I mean, rewarding, I think. Do you think there's a difference when somebody comes into treatment, you know, and is dealing with, you know, maybe they do have some PTS and they do have some acute things going on. Um, is there personality traits that, you know, in five years in, you know, they've they've been on patrol now for a while what does it look like, right? And what are some things that might show that maybe it's not healthy versus like a 10 or 15? Um, do you actually see that? Um? Um, I do, it's it's kind of like developmental stages in a
3: person. It's, <laughs> it's really kind of a cool thing to watch is it's fairly predictable. Um, Uh, What I what I see in the beginning of the career, and this is in Gil Martin's book, I think outlines it beautifully. But um, are you talking his emotional survival? Yeah, yeah, the little Bible of uh, it's it's uh, still a Bible mentioned a couple of times. Such a good book.
1: But you're saying the same thing, like it's like uh, how we develop naturally at each growth stage. Then you add like. Yeah, career. yeah,
3: because it's it's physiological also, right? It's mental and physiological. So one of the approaches that I use is internal family systems, which is parts of self. So everybody can relate to this. There's a part of me that wants to eat the donut. There's another part going, you you fat pig, don't touch that, right? So those are the people that live in our heads, and we all have very complex um, organizational uh, structures within our um, psyche. And uh, most of these parts of ourselves have very distinct beliefs and personalities. And it's not an easy thing to pitch to a cop, right? Because this is what they run on. Like, you got a bunch of people living in your head. But we do. um, And what I see at the beginning of career is um, a whole lot of excitement, a whole lot of adrenaline, a whole lot of um, gung ho and and buying into the brotherhood thing and really, really giving it their all. Um, And that. goes for maybe five to seven years as they're developing the part of self that is first responder. Um, For police officers and firefighters, and they're two entirely different creatures, as you guys know, um, which I also think is part of the competency piece. You can't lump them in together. Um, But as they're developing this part of self, um, you see a change start to happen, and families usually are pretty resistant. They don't like it. Um, And and we can all relate to that. If we took on a job, right, this Mm -hmm. person that's in front of you right now isn't who I am. i'm not this at home i'm not this with my kids um this is the therapist you're meeting right Right. Um, but the therapist doesn't keep me alive and safe so i get to hang the hat and be as shitty as i want when i go (laughs) home um or wherever i am Um, but cops don't have that luxury it's such a big piece of their personality keeping them safe that they develop a large part that is um, firefighter or officer Um, so within that five to seven year period you start to see a physiological change as well it's exhaustion syndrome Right, so you have adrenal fatigue, you start having inflammation, um, the brain rewires. And I, the best way to explain that is if I go on a hike, which I don't hike, but if I did, and <laughs> I thing. thought I saw a snake and it, you know, in the path, I would have a massive fight or flight response. Right. My brain would then change for the next day, roughly day and a half, into what we call a threat-based brain. Um, And a threat-based brain is focused only on the thing in front of it. It excludes all other information. I have a surge of um, chemicals that rush through my body that let me run or fight or do what I need to do. Um, The alarm in my brain starts changing, and there has been an injury now, and it's physiological. Mm. You can measure it in chemistry. You can see it on a a PET scan. Um, Within 36 hours, my body will take that amount of time to go back to baseline. Um, It's that Heavy, right? And if I don't use that stuff in my muscles, I'm going to have a little bit of muscle ache. It's going to accumulate maybe a little bit in my lymphatic system, but it'll work its way out. When you have a first responder who's getting assaulted with things, and I'm talking just walking up to a car door you don't know or an apartment you don't know, creates a fight or flight response. Um, they're having this response over and over and over again on a 10-hour, 12-hour period. Four it's extremely toxic. Yep, four days a week. Toxic. And yep, then only a week. having
2: three days of rest to come back to it.
3: Absolutely. And the main, chemist, the main chemical in that being um, cortisol and norepinephrine, and cortisol is a neurotoxin in large amounts. So now you're, you're creating a toxicity in the brain. You are changing the wiring mm. of the brain. You're turning it into a threat-based brain, and that means that um, it's a brain with alarms that are wired to sound all the time like a faulty smoke detector, um, doesn't matter what's in front of it, it goes off. Um, you're changing it so that um, that response that everything is met with is bigger than what's warranted. You left a dish on the counter, now I'm losing my mind. Yeah, um, And oh. you're creating um, a system in the brain where um, the main part of the brain, the hippocampus involved in memory, is the most susceptible to the cortisol toxicity. So First responders have crappy memories for things that aren't rote because they have a smaller, most of the time, hippocampus. So their memory center of the brain is altered. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot that goes into the physiology. Um, by about the 10-year mark, 15-year mark, um, what you start to see is um, cynicism has sunk in. They've been betrayed once or twice by the department, at least. Um, some of the departments, the NOIs, are just the most... I think outrageous things. Um, and, and that can also feel dependent, right? And that
1: would be like notice of investigation. Correct. So like Sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. A disciplinary action for whatever. Sure. Um, um, by now they've learned that, um, they're not necessarily going to be backed all the time. They've learned that it isn't the type of brotherhood that they feel like it was supposed to be. Um, so there's been betrayal. There's, um, a level of burnout because they're in exhaustion syndrome. There are thwarted relationships at this point, usually because, um, when you go into exhaustion syndrome, you're calling on all your resources to stay in that fight or flight place while you're on the clock. You go home, your brain switches just as automatically as if I throw something at you, you duck, right? It's autonomic. They do not choose. And they go into that um, freeze and collapse state, which is vegetative, right? Wired and tired. The thing about freeze and collapse is that it's a state in our nervous system that allows us to escape threat, right? So if you Mm -hmm. get caught by a bear that's trying to maul you you're going to reserve all of your um, energy to get away if you get the chance that's collapse so it isn't relaxed it looks relaxed and depressed but it's a ton of wired and tired energy Um, and this is how they come home vegetative with poor memories and in a state of collapse and then you have families who if they don't understand it are going um, Why are you checked out? Why don't you remember what I said yesterday? Why didn't you shut the front door even, right? Um, We talked about this five times. You remember everything your buddies at work said. The minute they call, boom, you're alive and awake, but that's a different neural pathway, right? That's the cop or the firefighter. It's It's not the husband. It's not the father. Um, And then you've got this... Fight or flight uh, threat based brain that has a massive response to small things, and families don't understand that either. So now the relationships start to suffer by that point in the career for many of them if they don't get counseling or if they don't understand it or they have a spouse that um, doesn't want to maybe read about it or if they read about it or don't quite get it. And it's hard not to take it personally. You know, my husband does something mildly shitty, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Tonight you're getting <laughs> smothered in your sleep, right?
1: right.
3: So, it, it's because we have feelings too, and sure. we also yeah. have mirror neurons. If I'm looking at someone and they're dysregulated, I feel dysregulated. Right. Right. So you're the first responder is bringing that home, and it's affecting the family. Right. So this is where you start to see divorce rates climb and um, other unhealthy coping skills coming out, and that goes back to the people living in our head, right? right. Ironically, yes. these are called firefighters, and firefighters drink, cut, smoke, cheat. Um, are addicted to things, have very unhealthy coping skills, which starts to affect finances, marriage, all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's that stage I see there. Well, we heard
1: that, and we found out that yes. some families just don't even know where to go to get help yeah. or even that. Yep. that that's a, There's a piece that comes with this lifestyle that really should also be included, uh, in their, you know, circle,
3: in their academy.
1: Yes. Yes. I know they have a,
3: they have a spouse day or family day, right? It's like a one
2: hour class. It's totally ridiculous. Nope. 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 I have thought about
3: having groups for families so they can come in and learn the psychoeducation. It should be part of AOT.
0: Because yep. this Advanced is what creates a, yes. sorry, yeah, all
3: the jargon. This yeah. is what That's creates okay. a healthy first responder. Yes. yes. Um, having their families come in and having a, a, a good solid at least three, four hours to talk about what are the changes you see? Let's discuss it. Here okay. are the things physiologically.
2: And we've we we we've discussed, like, this Just shouldn't just happen in the academy. It right. needs to happen at different intervals mm-hmm. of their career where whether they have, like, a five-year academy reunion – And the spouses go off and do kind of a class, and Mm -hmm. then at 10 years, where we're talking about just these things and why they are occurring, because, oh my gosh, everything that you said, I know I experienced, and at the time did not know what to do with it, but... Um, And I'm not the only one.
3: No, and you're right. If it went in stages, right, I think that would even be more ideal. Mm -hmm. And it should be part of advanced training for for fire and PD. Um, And not everybody's married when they go into it, right? Right. So having a spouse come in or a fiance, and I do encourage them to always bring in family members, um, almost require it, so that you can know not what you're getting into, but to understand how you can help, right? right? We can do a lot to go towards um, easing some of the nervous system disorder that happens, so I, it's, it's such a vital piece of, of healthy um, that it kind of blows my mind that it isn't included in uh, part of what goes on in Not their training. Right. Um, the last stage, uh, well, there's two more stages I could talk about real quick. Somewhere towards the end of the career, 17, 20 years, mm-hmm. um, a, a real interesting phenomenon that I haven't found any research on, but I've been lazy to look it up since having COVID, <laughs> but um, is they, they the brain, um, we have we have three parts of our brain. We have a brain stem, we have a feeling brain, and we have a thinking brain that wraps over it. And the brain works bottom up. So it sends information as well as receiving it and sending it down. Feeling brain we can't talk to. It's gut. That's the brain that responds if you're drowning, if I throw something at you. Um, and it, feelings are information that tell us how to navigate the world. So when I leave my office and it's dark, I want to feel nervous, and I want to use that as information. Um, feeling is not helpful to a first responder. It would keep them from doing their job. right So one of the things that starts happening after that five to seven year mark that I see is there is a massive disconnect of feeling and thinking brain because it has to be. Remember, I talked about not wanting to go into those sketchy places, right? right? My body's going nope, 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 and they're like hell yeah, let's get go in right there, in, right? Absolutely. So they there's a disconnect; it's physiological between feeling and thinking. Messages are still being sent; it's not being received. So the emotional brain is very, very active in a first responder, but the thinking brain's going not listening. Um, but you don't get to pick, and that's part of what starts to affect relationships at home. Um, they're disconnected. I hear they're checked out. They don't feel. They don't care. They're angry all the time. They're not. They're It's like having a massive sunburn, and when you hit a sunburn, you get a massive reaction. That's what a threat-based brain does. So um, you're bumping up against a nervous system that's highly dysregulated um, and is sounding alarms all the time, if that makes sense. So um, little things get big responses, which creates more disruption in relationships. But
1: um, So you see this more by the end, like toward the end of the career, you're saying like? uh, Yeah,
3: Yeah. so after that five to seven year mark, the disconnect starts to happen with the emotions. You start to see a separation of parts of self, right? Very, very strong firefighter cop part, much smaller, sometimes um, father, husband, friend. Mm and the emotion starts to disconnect right so they're they're not receiving the signals that we all would be receiving of don't go in that place right which i'm sure you can relate to oh, right? absolutely. As, a, as a former um, law enforcement you, you
1: cannot not go into that place yep. they're going
3: so what ends up happening is I, I i compare it a lot to like borderline personality disorder by this 17 18 20 year mark um because what borderline personality disorder really is is it's developmental trauma if you take a child and you deny their emotion and you abuse them, they learn that emotion isn't helpful, right? Mm. It's not information, I'm not gonna pay attention to it. But what you end up with is a brain that's running the ship. So what I see by that point in career for most of them, um, and this is also kind of interesting, the ones who have really unhealthy type coping skills don't tend to need treatment. They're crashing and burning, but they're dealing with it with those firefighter parts that are drinking or buying excessive things or doing whatever they're doing on you know in an unhealthy way to cope. The ones that don't have those unhealthy outlets are the ones that show up in my office going, I've never cheated on my wife. I don't drink a whole lot, but I'm losing my mind. Mm. So by that 17, 18-year mark, what you've got is a a first responder who's crying at commercials, um, super label in their emotions. And what's happening is the feeling brain um, is now kind of running the ship. Mm. And for the first time in 20 years, they're feeling a whole lot of emotion they can't quite place. It doesn't feel comfortable. Um, It feels very threatening and and they don't know what to make of it or do with it um so part of the challenge of treating this population that you'd asked about earlier is there's a protocol with the mdr for reconnecting emotion thinking brain and feeling brain um and uh the protocol it, it takes a few sessions it's super uncomfortable for them they don't like it but it's teaching the thinking brain to read those signals and understand what to do with them right anger should signal you need to make a change fear should signal you need to pay attention Um, But you cannot reconnect that Um, mid-career because what I have found is the ones who don't successfully separate parts, sorry, or the ones who um, can't disconnect emotion from thinking brain don't last. They're the ones who come in and go, I can't do this anymore. Um, Because it's not natural. Absolutely. Right. But it's a skill you have to have to do the job. I don't want to go places where people could end up stabbing me. No, thank you. Um, So how do you do it? You shove that all deep down and you don't feel it and you go in and you get the job done and you call it excitement. So we can't reconnect it early in career, it's just how it is, and I'll tell families that. They they feel deeply. Don't think that your first responder doesn't feel deeply.
1: <laughs> too deep sometimes, Absolutely. Like, too Absolutely.
3: intense. Absolutely, some of the most caring people on the planet, but they're not gonna show it the way you want them to, and they're not going to express it the way you might want them to, and that is hard. So we have to care for the spouses as well. I couldn't be married to a first responder. I have a deep amount of appreciation and admiration for spouses, deep, because it is hard
1: you're suffering right along with them. Right. Um, well, even what you just explained right now, yeah. i I've, you know, even in peer support world, as you know, like the way you explained it, I can tell you that there's been no training that where I came from to, that, that where somebody from the outside came in and explained it like that to the first responder, let alone the family member, Yeah, yeah. you know? To, so it's like education versus mm-hmm. Something's wrong with you. Yes. Absolutely, Because right? yep. That's no. that's yeah. hard. I mean, yep, yeah.
3: yeah. goes back to the you're, you're hearing tones and you're crazy, right? That's yeah. my story. It's, that's how it feels. They'll come in my office. I'm numb. There's something wrong with me. I hate it. I want to go back to who I was before. Well, you will never be that again. You will always be a copper or a firefighter. I can't give you back who you were right? before, but we can we can teach you to create more of husband, father, how to blend the two parts together yes. a little bit differently, um, but to feel numb you know and, and to come in my office and go I just there's something really wrong with me there there isn't this is how you've survived the job right. if i connect those emotions back to thinking brain you won't run into right. that building
1: well yeah no and then to be honest with you then you go you get somebody into therapy and maybe the therapist doesn't understand the first responder brain like you said developed brain over time and then they get they slap on a ptsd yep. you know permanent Uh, label. And now on top of all these fears, something's wrong with me. Now, look, I have this diagnosis. So now can I work? Can I not work? Is somebody going to use this against me? And I mean, and you're seeing this, and I'm sure you're even seeing it well into retirement where you're carrying. I mean, what does it look like? So after time? Well, we're
3: very blessed in Arizona to have HB 2502. There's no diagnostic code required to bill. Um, And I think that is the best thing that's ever happened in arizona yes, as far so as any law that's ever been passed So you don't
2: have to label them with nope, anything they to don't be get able diagnosed that's awesome. they just have to have like
3: wow. a criteria yep. that they okay. meet and they get and they get their 36 therapy. sessions up to okay. 36 sessions okay. Okay. the problem with the diagnosis is a couple of things and people don't understand this when they use their insurance if you diagnose any human being that follows them the rest First of their life. lives it can affect life insurance health insurance it can affect jobs it can affect federal jobs yes. with the population in particular in arizona and i don't know how other um, state's workman's comp laws work I had a client who had an OIS was diagnosed with PTSD right after when they saw the uh, clinician that they were supposed to go see didn't know they had the diagnosis Um, went for a medical years later and couldn't get a workman's comp claim because you have one year to act on the injury and a clinician who doesn't know this creates a lot of um, really unfair problems for that first responder. And it's part of being competent. If you're going to diagnose them, because they're going to ask for every record you've ever had if you yep. go for a workman's comp claim, and there's a PTSD diagnosis attached to that event, you missed your window if you didn't do it within yep. a year. And then oh. you have no recourse for workman's comp.
1: No. Oh, my God. And now you're finding these guys are now, some of them are transferring, you know, whether they're moving to another mm-hmm. state or within the same state. And they're disclosing to their agency that they have it, right? And agencies sometimes don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Or sometimes they think that's a permanent, you know, oh, nope, they're going to not you're, be a radiologist. Yes, you're not. And instead it's like, okay, it's no different than I just got diagnosed with asthma or I've been itching and had these rashes right. and now I have an yeah. allergy yeah. and I'm treating it. Um, and it gets really complicated. And like you said, even with the program, that's now forcing departments, whether they like it or not, and it might look a little different, you know, because it is interpretation of the law. It's forcing command staff and city HRs and county, state, all of that to go, okay, we need to come up with a program, right? Right. Something um, because it's required by law. And hey, I'll take it if it's made. But now the flip side of that is, so now we're getting an influx of first responders, right? Going for preventative. They're opening up Pandora's box of all this, you know, and especially somebody toward, like you said, the end of their career. And they've got like a couple years to go. Do you find that um, those that maybe have been coming later in their career, the, the close to retirement, mm-hmm. um, are they better off? I mean, it's always better to get treatment, but how about the ones that run out of time to continue treatment, and now they're going to retire and they're going to have no insurance? Oh, that's a, or and they yeah. get started. Do you find? I mean. That's a new challenge a little bit. Because- Absolutely.
3: What I have found is, um, and I don't want to throw any organization under the bus, so maybe I won't name any, but they, mm-hmm. nobody covers a retired. They do not care. Okay. I have not found no. one organization that cares about a retired first responder except for some nonprofits. There are certain cities where um, they don't care when the event happened. They'll let you pick. And I, the joke in my office is, forgive me, it's pick a dead body, right? You have hundreds. Right. Um, there are other cities that are extremely um, uh what's the word? They're just very restrictive. If it didn't happen after that uh, law was passed, they will not cover you. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're behind a desk, um, yeah, pick an event. I don't have one or an exposure. Within that, yeah. Right within if- that window. Um, the other thing, and I think this is an important thing to mention going back to the changes you see, I have a lot of um, spouses who will come in and go, he's been behind a desk for five years, 10 years. I don't understand why he still has this thing. Why is he still so irritable? Because the brain didn't change. Right. Once Mm -hmm. the chemistry has shifted, once the the alarms have been set to go off with every little thing, the desk job doesn't make a difference. You still have the injury. And if you don't treat the injury, it's going to follow you. So they have a lot of um, I I find that a lot of spouses are very um, frustrated and rightly so about why is he still like this when he's been behind a desk. Um, Going back to the retirement piece, what I just me, um, I see them for free. I don't take money okay. from first responders. Yeah, I, I just don't out of principle. So, and a lot of them will offer to pay. And one of them in particular is insisted on paying. But for the most part, I, I see them for free. That's, um,
1: wow, that's amazing. It's, I well, appreciate that. I think
3: it, I do, I have a love for the population. Because
1: um, a lot of times, I also find that the retiree, like what you're, you're talking about now, so now they're out of everything you just said before, right? Their family is gone you know, their worth, their Mm -hmm. identity, their, the power that they did have. And now you talked about feelings, right? How that takes over as time goes on. So now they're, all of that is happening all at the same time. And now they want to get treatment because they, for the first time, see
2: all this coming
1: out at them. Right. And they're finally like, well, maybe something is wrong. And now what does that look like? And now what do you do with that? Yes. So we're also talking, um,
3: climate and generational, um, ideas about things right that you've got the the newer generations very open to therapy right. and and departments that are very open to to providing it have changed the culture but you've got what um there's a there's a name for it, i'm not going to use it as a derogatory but they all use it for themselves right the the people who have been on for a very long time <laughs> they come from a, we'll yeah yeah let's go with old timers <laughs> they um they have a different view on therapy and they're not as willing to get it so there it's going to change as we see these generations mm-hmm. growing through the departments maybe 25 years in Arizona is unconscionable, unconscionable. Right. But um, as, as these younger generations go in, we might see a shift. But with the older generation moving its way out now, um, you're right. It's not until they've already walked out the door that they go, why am I not better? What's wrong with me? My wife's ready to leave me. I, I can't connect with my kids. They're angry because of how I behaved. And that is why, um, I, I, that's why I see them pro bono. Um, I, my rates offset that, and I can only see so many. But sure. I do have about maybe eight pro bono clients right now. Um, because there's the message they're getting is you don't matter anymore. You're broken and we're done with you and move on. And they already know this by 10 years into the career. I am replaceable. I'm a cog in a machine. And if I'm gone tomorrow, someone else will take my place and nobody cares. So that, that's my way of at least showing thank you for your service. Um, there's something else you mentioned a second, wait a second.
1: Um, about the, what they're dealing with now on top of all of the old stuff and leaving their department, but now they lose power, right? And they lose identity, right? And now they're out. So yeah, I want, to, I want
3: to talk a little bit about that. Um, the retirement um, phase, that's the fourth uh, thing that I see as far as developmental phases and first responders. Power and control is a very misunderstood thing. It's about safety. It's mm-hmm. not about lording over other people and bullying. And power and control is, is a big cornerstone of, of staying safe, right? It's the, the, and I think they're getting rid of ask, tell, make, but, um, but that's a safety feature. right? Right. If I ask you to do something and you don't comply the first and second time, something's going to shift because I have to keep people safe. And that level of power and control that we see um, goes away the minute you lose your credentials or you retire. So now we've got, um, and this is when they notice something's wrong, right? I'm on the freeway. And I, and I want to light them up, but I can't, yeah. right? I cannot pull that car over. Or they did a shitty thing in front of me on the intersection and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, or a neighbor that um, is doing stupid things. I had, you know, one guy whose neighbor was shooting on New Year's Eve into the air. Mm. Totally illegal, not okay. And he's like, and there was nothing I could do. I can call yeah. the police department, but I have no authority, right? right? And that feels terrible. Oh, gosh, so it's helplessness. absolutely yeah. a helplessness. And helplessness is the worst thing you can do to this population. Mm-hmm. When you talk about things that create the injury, it isn't the death. It, it's sometimes the screaming, it, it it's sometimes the smells, but what really does it is the feeling of helplessness. Oh boy. Um, and that's why infant deaths are such a big thing. Um, I couldn't do anything to save them, and it's a child, and most of them have children. Um, there was nothing I could do after the fact, all right? The, the accident had already happened. This is a population that we call to for everything, and there's nobody beyond PD. Um, you can't. They don't have anyone to call, right? They're who we rely on, and they're where the buck stops, and they are expected to fix literally everything. Fire is as well, right? Bring the person back to life. Fix this thing. Fix my smoke detector. So there's a belief system that shifts how they view the world, and part of that is this magical thinking of I have to fix it all. And that magical thinking also includes I don't get to take time off which is a big struggle with tiger time um, yep. when some of them need it. I don't want to leave my um, squad behind. We're already short-staffed. Mm-hmm. There's a shooting when they're not there, God forbid. I should have been there that day. Yeah. right? That's part of that I have to be there to fix it thing. Yep. So now they retire. They have zero power and control. Um, they have spouses who are going, you're not a cop anymore. Stop it. right? But right. that part is still a very big active part of their neural network, still a cop. Right? Why is your head on the swivel? Yeah, yeah. For
1: identity, they, Huge identity, that's all crisis. they know. Sometimes yep. they, they absorb their life into being this hero yep. that they can't even put that sword, you know, or gun, yeah. or whatever, on the wall to try to be because yeah. they don't know how to. I think, and myself included, at times you just feel odd when everybody else is kind of doing this and you're over yeah. here like, yeah, that doesn't even remotely makes sense to me. Right,
3: right. I've had one of them said to me, "How do I adjust to sitting in an office after I was out there doing these things?" I he and God bless him, he and this wasn't a bad thing, but he goes, "I I don't feel special and important anymore." And when we rely on someone, and I understand that as a mother, right? I want to feel special and important to my kids. Mm -hmm. They're all married now. I don't feel special and important. There's an ego crisis, right? And it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean they have a large ego. It just means, what do I do now with that neural network that was the last line of defense? So is that like looking for validation? Well, yeah. This is a career that's uh, completely predicated on helping others for most of them, right? And I understand there are the the bullies that make their way through, but by and large... um, this is a population that's a helping profession, just like I am. Right. Um, and it's a big piece of the identity. So that lack of meaning and purpose in life, right? You don't have meaning and purpose at a desk job necessarily or a greeter at Walmart or whatever. And some of them joke, I want to be a greeter at Walmart. But right. how do you go from being that be-all, end-all to the person who stocks things on a shelf? It, right. it doesn't have meaning and purpose. So I see them going into sometimes a real depressive state of what is my life about now? Right. You know, what am I supposed to do next? Um, how do I make myself useful? Because that's exactly what they're wired to do. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it becomes Gosh, a bit of a crisis. Sense. So what I do that with- makes sense. Yeah, right? What I that do with families sense. is back to parts of self. If you're in Costco or Copco as they call it, right? Um, <laughs> encourage your first responder who's retired to keep his head on a swivel and thank that part of you. Instead, what we do is we get into a great big battle with parts. Stop looking around. Why are you nervous? Why are you panicking? Oh my, yes. And it creates more of a, of a crisis in identity- <laughs> Um, when what I teach them to do is, is pi- picture that cop, thank him for being there because weird shit happens on a dime and yeah, they know that. Yeah. And who do you want next to you? I would love to carry a cop everywhere I go, right? What, what better What better way to be safe all the time? Yeah. So thinking that part of them, them thinking that wow. part of them, I'm glad my head's on a swivel. This is how it's supposed to be. I pay attention. If something happens, I will be prepared. And that actually eases all of that anxiety. So Aww. you don't go into a full-on, panic because I've had first responders have to leave
0: Costco or whatever. a lot of
2: marriages just with that yeah. right there. Yeah.
0: Be sure to catch part two of Lauren's amazing interview in two weeks. Thanks for riding along with us today. We hope our perspectives from the passenger seat helped you gain some insights to navigate the Leo lifestyle. For additional information and resources visit us on Instagram at Ride Along Chronicles. Follow, like, and comment for more. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast hit the subscribe button we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future topics, leave a comment or send a confidential email. See you on the next ride.